lengthy portion, if you could just be patient uh, as we read 30 verses, but I think it would be good for us to really wrap our mind around what happened here to unpack some of this, uh, this truth today. Verse 1, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which is a, I'm a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Mm-mm-mm. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus saith unto her, or said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, Oh, wow. <laughs> I that speak unto thee am he. Now, wow, that's a powerful, powerful thought. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, 
Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the conversation that you've given us between Jesus and this woman. And Lord, I know there's thirsty people here today. I pray you'd help us, Lord, as we... Give them, Lord, what you gave us. And I pray, God, if there's one here this morning that does not know where they're going to go if they died. They're walking up to the water well. And they're walking up thirsty. Give us grace, Lord. I pray you'd help guide and direct, Lord. And I pray we leave here different than we came today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting, as you note here, that um, there's a lot of weird beliefs out there. There's some crazy, strange beliefs. Are you all with me this morning? There's crazy stuff out there. In fact, I I started looking up what people believe, and uh, you just wouldn't believe. Think about this. 16 million Americans believe right now that Elvis Presley is still alive. It's over 5% of American population that believes that he's alive. Uh, Maybe you are a part of that. I don't know. 33% believe that, that... they are going to be reincarnated, come back as a dog or a cat or a horse or whatever. 39% believe in ghosts. 53% believe that in the last 100 years we were visited by aliens. Well, I believe that. Okay, don't say anything, okay? 74% believe that the U.S. government is currently involved in cover-ups and conspiracies. That may be true there. I said, let me just cross that one out there. So I say this. There are some crazy beliefs out there. We all would agree that we are living in information-crazed society where people just look at things and they believe things. And they accept all kinds of theories and beliefs. But when it comes to the Bible, it seems to have a disconnect and won't accept what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a large population. And so our text takes us to a woman that is in the wrong beliefs. She's, uh, she's got wrong beliefs and she's in a mess. She's ha- and has been on the merry-go-round of life. I don't know how old she is, but uh, she's worn out. She is worn out, and, uh, and so she's going out to Jacob's well, uh, most likely about a mile from Sychar, and she's heading to this well and uh, to do what she'd done every other day, and she meets the Lord Jesus Christ, not knowing who he was, not really seeking him, not really looking for him. There's no indication that she's looking for, particularly for Jesus Christ, although she knows about him. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but she is going to leave different when she finishes this conversation. And I want to just, as you look this uh, over this over this passage, now, and I feel I feel like I'm speaking to people that perhaps, and I hope you're like this, you've just grown world weary, the world weary, where where the world has empty promises, things that don't satisfy, vain promises and vain goals. And I don't know if you are sick and tired of the treadmill of life, and this is where. Uh, the, the repetitive wake up, go to work, go to bed, wake up, go to work, go to bed, wake up, maybe save a little bit, maybe spend a little bit, wake up, buy something. And, and that repetitive, grinding life 
it, coupled with the misery and the heartache that comes with it, the news and the culture and the, the, the society and the problems, this woman is wore out. This woman is coming and she's wore out. She is world sick. She is world tired. She is on the merry-go-round of life. And you'll find here, this is a turning point for her. She is going to be changed. So about the woman here, real quick. Uh, If you look at verse number 4, down to verse number 7, I'm not going to read all of them again, but verse 5 it says, Then cometh uh, he to the city of where? You all have to talk with me, right? Samaria, right? Okay, so she's coming. uh, Jesus is coming to Samaria, which is called Sychar. Verse 6 tells us Jacob's well is there. And then verse number 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. So according to verse number 7, this woman that's coming to the well is from Samaria. You all with me this morning on that? Now, we find in the same passage of Scripture, in addition to this passage, other portions of Scripture show that there is a huge social divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. They had no dealings with each other. And there's a reason for that. She is a Samaritan, and the Samaritan race of people uh, go back to uh, about 722 B.C. And what happened in 722 B.C. was the end of the dynasty of the northern kingdom. Uh, when Jeroboam and Rehoboam had a, uh, had a rupture in Judah, ten tribes went north, uh, and two tribes stayed south. We're talking about the whole nation of Israel being basically ripped apart. Ten tribes went north, two tribes went south. The tribes that went north, the first king was Jeroboam. There was never a good king in the northern kingdom. They were all bad kings. Talk about corrupt politicians. That was the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom has a different. They had a couple of good kings, a couple of revivals that took place in Judah. But for the most part, they were separated. The Assyrian Empire, it was a brutal empire that was uh, basically uh, expanding their territories during the 700s. And they came into the northern kingdom and actually uh, besieged Samaria. They ripped Samaria apart. They were the modern-day ISIS. When they went in, they were brutal. They were cutting people's heads off. They were putting people's heads on staves. They were broadcasting their brutality to the nation they defeated. So when they did that, in addition to ripping them apart, pillaging everything that they had, they left the poor and the maimed in the land. Then they sent their people into the land to intermarry with the remnant that was not killed in what they did. This happened here in the northern kingdom. And they became known as Samaritans because they were sort of half Gentile and half Jew. And so the two southern kingdoms did not have that, if you would, pollution of race uh, dilution, so to speak. And so they didn't have anything to do with one another. But yet the northern kingdom, uh, excuse me, the Samaritans had basically at least some connection to Jacob, some connection to Abraham, some connection to the Jewish people. And that's referenced here in the passage of Scripture. But the southern kingdom, they didn't want anything to do with the northern kingdom or the Samaritans. So there's a rupture. There's a social problem here. So I'm going to give you a couple things about this woman. Number one, she is living in an isolated environment. She's in a sense of, of, of social isolation. Look, I just kind of park here for a little bit because we are living in a culture where they're trying to divide social lines. 
They're trying, they're, and they're doing, by the way, a successful job. Gender identity, or excuse me, uh, uh, gender theory and gender uh, or uh, critical race theory uh, and uh, identity politics, pitting one group against another group. By the way, this is neo-Marxism. This, this is what you're seeing today. This, this is the core of what they desire to do. This is a culture. This is a push to rip and divide and cause one class against another class. Well, that is nothing new under the sun. This was happening here. But this culture, Samaritan culture, was totally, if you would, separated from the Jewish culture. They didn't have any deal. They didn't trade with one another. They didn't talk with one another. A Samaritan was on one side of the street and a Jew was on the other side of the street. They stayed apart. They did not talk. They did not intermingle with one another. So here's this woman from Samaria, Jesus being a Jew. We already have, if you would, a challenge to the cultural standard of that day. And so she's in social isolation. But to make matters just a little worse, she's also in moral isolation. If you look in the passage of Scripture, you find that this woman comes in the sixth hour. In verse number six, the last part of that verse says, and it was about the sixth hour, there cometh, verse seven, there cometh a woman of Samaria. So at 12 noon, sixth hour, on the Jewish time clock, this woman's coming out to this well. As I mentioned, I may have, I can't remember from nine o'clock to 1030 what I say. So if I... So anyway, one, one mile from the town is the well. And so she's walking a mile to get to the well. This is where they all came to. But she's coming at 12 noon or the sixth hour. Most of the women have already came to, have come to the well early in the morning when it's cool. And they would come, they would get the water, they go back with their water pots into Sychar. And so here's this woman coming in the heat of the day. She's coming most likely alone. There's no indication that anyone else is with her. Now, this would be kind of a social event. All the ladies get together, and the ladies like to talk, and they're just carrying the water pots, and they're all just kind of jibber and jabber and talking all the way out to the well. And did you hear? And did you hear? And did you see? And all that kind of stuff. And, and I was on Facebook last night and saw this. And this. So they're back, and they're just kind of talking, blah, blah, blah. They get to the well, and they're all talking when the well, getting the water. All the way. They're all talking all the way back. This woman's not there. She's coming in the noon. She's coming in the heat of the day. This is most likely because she has already been isolated from the culture that she was in. Now, how do I know that? Look, if you would, at verse number 17. The Bible says, in, a, in, in response to what the Lord said, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And then verse 18, Jesus says, for thou hast five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Now, this is, can I say it this way? This woman just got a sword. I mean, she was just given some very harsh yet truthful words from the Lord Jesus Christ. She has already had five husbands. And the one that she is now with is not her husband, indicating she is still legally married to that fifth husband, and yet she's not living with him. She's outside of that marriage, and she's in another relationship. So this was this and this culture was looked down at. This was this was a taboo subject. No one did this. And so here she is coming by herself at noon 
by herself. Why? Most likely because the women of that culture had isolated her, had shunned her, had uh, avoided her because of who she was. She was the woman of the town, so to speak. She was a woman that went to the men of the town. And I would say this while I'm here. This is a immoral woman living in an outcast society. This is an immoral woman living in... So can you put it this way? She's living already with an outcast culture, but inside the outcast culture, she's more outcast. I mean, she is in a mess. She is in a social mess. She is in a moral mess. And another note based on this is that, that based on the amount of, of men that she has gone through, she's gone through five marriages. Now you say this at this point, say, well, it's all the men's fault. It could be. It could be all of the men. She's just not a good man picker. That's possible. I'm not saying that it's all her fault, but I am saying that she's now on number six and she's not married to him. Can I just say this? And I'm just being as graceful as we can here. We see this woman has almost created a pattern that is now defining who she is. It's one thing, watch this. It's one thing to, to allow sin to overtake you. The Bible talks about being overtaken in faults. Understand that. But unfortunately, sin does not ever want to stop with just kind of touching. Sin always wants to consume. Sin always wants to distort and distract. In fact, under the sin curse that we're all under right now, we're all distorted. We're all a mess. Oh, y'all, we're all a mess. We all, in addition to that, we have actual sin that now distracts us. And then we have indwelling sin that will actually become to manipulate us and c- cause us to say, well, that's just who I am. It's like the angry husband that yells at his wife, yells at his kid, blows up all the time. And you say, why do you do that? And he'll say to you, well, I'm just who I am. Or you find the clamorous wife that complains about everything. She's always putting other people down. And you come, why do you do that? Oh, that's who I am. We all here? In other words, sin becomes the defining element of people's lives. Five women, five men rather, the man that she's now with is not her husband. Can we just say this? Being fair to the text, this woman has created a pattern of living. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. There are people that do not in this community that do not know what it is to have a happy marriage. They don't know what that's like. There are people in our community today that last night shot themselves up with heroin or meth or molly. They took a hit of another drug thinking that the drug is going to satisfy the desire in their heart. And it didn't. They're waking up just as miserable as they were last night, and they're looking for another hit today. They don't know what it is to have peace. They don't know what it is to have joy. They don't know what it is to have a husband that loves them or a wife that loves them or kids. They don't understand that. That's a total foreign model to them, and yet it becomes normal to them. This is just normal life. They would say to you, I don't understand what love is. I don't understand what peace is. You're talking a language that I can't even define. I don't understand what that is. And so I would say to this woman, she's an isolated woman that has become almost in a, her pattern of living has defined who she is. She's coming at 12 noon and she's carrying a water pot and she's going to this well alone, miserable in the cycle of life and really not looking for Jesus. 
She's just going through the misery of life. You all with me this morning? That's who she is. In addition to the isolation, this woman, number two, is an ignorant woman. If you look in verse number 22, Jesus says these words to her. Watch what it says. Ye worship, ye know not what? Jesus is saying to this woman, you don't know what you're worshiping. Can I just say it this way? She's an ignorant woman. She doesn't have a solid foundation in her belief. She believes, but she doesn't have a solid foundation. She doesn't know what she's doing. And there are some things that she just doesn't know. She's ignorant. And this poor woman begins to try to argue religion with Jesus. Can you imagine that? She's going to now go into an argumentative, and she, not on Jesus' side, but on her side. She's going to put up some pretty pathetic arguments. But by the way, common arguments that people have on religion or on beliefs. Here's her first argument. She brings up the social argument in verse number 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, that is, uh, uh, how is it that thou being a what? Jew, okay? Uh, ask this drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. Y'all see what she's doing right now? She's already, she's already coming up with this, this social argument. Number one, you're a man and I'm a woman. So, and in addition to that, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. So, but yet this is her argument. This is, why are you even asking me, a woman of Samaria, to get you a drink, you being a Jew? So that's the first, she begins to talk about their social differences. And ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? That is not part of the great commission that we're under. We don't talk about social distance, black and white and whatever color or race you're from. That's not part of the Great Commission. We don't ask those questions. Why? It's not important. It's not important at all. We're all the same color at the, at the foot of the cross. There, that is actually created, if you would, to put classes against each other or genders against each other. Lord Jesus Christ is having to field this first argument. Then he goes, then she goes into almost a skeptical argument. I'm not going to unpack all these verses in verse 11 and 12. And uh, uh, you'll find here the woman, verse 11, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. He, she, she says, time out, time out. You're talking about living water. You're talking about this water. You don't even have anything to draw with. This is a skeptical argument. Okay. The skeptic is, uh, again, a very common problem. Skeptical. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Then she goes in almost and accusing him in verse number 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Do you realize when the Lord Jesus Christ gets into a conversation with people, he's not arguing with them. When Satan came to Christ, remember that in temptation, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. Jesus did not say to Satan, I am the son of God. He said... It is written. It is written three times. It is written. It is written. There's no arguing with Satan. There was truth given. Okay. But there's no arguing with him. Can I just say this to us? Listen, you're not going to argue someone into salvation. Can I just say it again? You are not going to argue someone into salvation. Crafting an argument. And I'll just kind of lay this down here with a face bookers. 
They love to argue on Facebook for the entire world to see an argument. Do you realize that is not biblical Christianity? This is a one-on-one conversation. This is not put on Facebook. This is graceful eye-to-eye contact going back and forth and listening and complimenting and working through concepts. But Jesus is not arguing with her. He's giving her truth and love. Please be good Christians. God's people should never be on Facebook arguing. I'm called to do that. Number three, religious arguments is the third argument. She comes in verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, she just got some very hard words from the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were graceful and truthful words. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she goes on to say, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. I would say this to the text. Jesus never said that. Are you all here? No, nowhere in the text did he say that. She just assumed. Since you're a Jew, you know, and I know, that you're saying the only place to worship God is in Jerusalem. We, you know, we, we come up here to Samaria. So she's, she's using a religious argument. You all with me this morning? And then to top it off, again, this is what people do all the time. To top it off, she does the postponing, postponing argument. Okay, you ever get someone to the place where they say, oh, you know what? It's true. I am a sinner. It's true. Uh, Jesus is the son of God. That's true. I need to accept him. You know what? I'm going to do it later. Say, how do I know that? Look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. There's a colon here in our King James. It says, when he is come, he will tell us all things. So when she's saying, says, you know what, that's something, you know what, you're you're a sir, you're a prophet, I could tell. But I know when Messiah comes, it'll come and I'll I'll believe him. He'll tell us all things. You know what this is? This is a postponement. This is something that people do all the time. I'll just do it. Listen, there's never going to be a comfortable time to get right with God if you're not right with God. There's never going to be a comfortable time to get saved if you're not saved. The Bible talks about now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put spiritual decisions off to some fictitious time in the future. You're getting older. You're not getting younger. And you're not guaranteed another minute of life. You all with me? There's no guarantee. There's no written contract. You've got 10 more years or 10 more minutes to live. So this post, I'll do it some other time. Oh, man, that happens all the time. But look at verse number 10. There's one thing she's missing here in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God. Now unpack that phrase, gift of God, and you'll find in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and verses 9. Very interesting passage. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Okay? And it's interesting as you look at that verse, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the gift of God in Ephesians 2, 8 is connected to saved. So you're saved, that being the gift of God. So what is the gift of God? Well, the gift of God, again, is mentioned in Romans 6, 23, where it says, for the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God, and I'm quoting, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So watch this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the very gift of God, and the gift of God is eternal life. So he says, I've got something for you no man could give you. It is the gift of God. Now let me point out something very interesting because verse 25, she says something back to him. Okay, so she says, I, I, okay, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Can I just say this here at this point? Does she know a little bit about the Messiah? And I would say that there are a lot of people that know about Jesus, but they do not know Jesus. I mean, they, 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 if you ask them to quote Bible stories, oh, yeah. Oh, I know about Jonah and the whale. I know about the gospels walking on the water. I know that he healed people. And there are people that know something about Jesus Christ. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. They may have all the Bible stories. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. So people say, I just believe in God. It's not necessarily believing in God for salvation. It is believing in who Christ is for salvation. They might know verses. They may know the Bible. They may be members of a church. They may sing in the choir. But this woman knew about Christ, but she did not know him. Didn't know him at all. And so left her this woman's self. She might have died and gone to hell. And as I look at this, do you realize one person said, what you don't know won't hurt you. But I would say what you don't know can send you to hell. Because we live in a society where there are people that are lost. That word lost in the Bible is a spiritual condition. You can look at the words condemned, damned, judged, perish, all biblical words that show a spiritual condition before a holy God. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this woman's lost. She doesn't know it. She thinks she's religious enough. She knows about this Christ. And she'll, she knows when she sees him, she'll know it because he'll know everything. And, but she's not saved. And there are people that know enough about church, enough about religion, enough about Christianity to be a danger to themselves. And every day people die sitting in a church pew on Sunday and going to hell on Monday. They know many things about the Bible, about theology, but they never came to Jesus Christ. And by the way, can I just say this while I'm here? There's a lot of things about that book I don't understand. So, Pastor, you're supposed to understand. I don't. There's some mysteries in this book. And the Bible talks about mysteries. This is a supernatural book. It's unsearchable. I don't understand everything in this book. I believe everything in it, but I don't understand everything in the book. And there are some things, if I don't understand them, are not going to determine whether I'm going to heaven or hell. Because there's one main issue in the Bible that if I reject, I will not be saved. Of course, I have accepted the very main thing, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 16, 31, main thing, watch this, main theme of the Bible. Here's what it says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Very simple. Very simple. See, I don't have to know all the, no, you don't. You know Jesus Christ. And so they, unfortunately, people, Baptists, 
miss Jesus because they know about him or they never knew him. They learn how to go to church. They learn how to go to Sunday school. They learn how to put the ties on. They know how to look like a Christian, not that a tie makes you look like a Christian. I hate these things. <laughs> uh, they, learn, they learn how to look. They learn how to tithe. They know what Bible to get. They learn how to turn over the new leaf. They know the religious system, but they're not safe. So this is an isolated woman. This is an ignorant woman. And then she moves into a defensive posture. She begins to defend her beliefs. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, I think this or I believe this way. And I know what the Bible says, but and, and all those things. They're almost offensive mechanisms that we put to not have to change what we believe. This is what she's doing here. And you, you realize this, that God doesn't check with us to find out what we like. He didn't say, you know what, let me find out what they like before I give them truth. You know, you know what I mean? He doesn't come and say, you know what, you, you matter so much. I'm going to change who I am because you matter. No. You really don't. Although you mean everything to God. But he will not change who he is to reach you. That's why he said to the woman, they that worship me, here's the word, must worship me in truth and in spirit. So, so here, verse uh, 2, you'll find here, we have this ignorant woman, we have an isolated woman, we have a defensive woman, then she meets a loving Savior. And I'm going to be finished with these last two hours of thoughts here. <laughs> I always run out of time, and I don't know why this is, but it just is. I want you to look at verse 4 real quick, and I'm going to finish. It says in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. This is interesting because they didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. Samaria was actually geographically close. You, you just go, but the Jews would go around Samaria because they didn't want to be with the Samaritans. But he says in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. So the disciples, can you imagine him talking to the disciples? Which way are we going to go now? Well, we're going th- through Samaria. Whoa. Um, we don't do that. We are. Why? Because according to verse number four, this was not just an accidental meeting. This was a divine appointment. He is going to meet this woman. He is going to meet this woman. So he comes at the well. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what the well looked like. And I have my mind what it looks like. But here's the well. He is coming, sitting at the well, and he's waiting. 1155. 1156. There she is. I see her. There she is. There she is. Sixth hour. Here he is, a Jew, sitting at Jacob's well. Can you get me something to drink? This, listen, this is a divine appointment. And I thank God that Jesus does not operate like us. He does not care about heritage. He does not care 
about the hatred of others. He does not care about the racial lines that have been drawn by ignorant men. He does not care about the gender differences. He doesn't care about that at all. He is operating in the realm of grace and compassion. And even his disciples, verse 27 tells us, it. They, they, they weren't approving of this conversation. But he, need, he needed to go through Samaria. Now, I don't know when your well appointment was, but never forget it. <laughs> I don't know where that was. I don't know where that time where you said, you know what, I am a sinner, and I'm going to go to hell if I don't get saved. I don't know when that well appointment was, but I know this. We should never forget that well appointment. Amen. Amen. Where you sat down with the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of God spoke to your heart and illuminated to you what this book says about this eternal God and how he robed himself in flesh. He was crucified for your sins. And you're sitting at a well looking at him spiritually and say, I don't want to forget that. That's an awesome thing. He does not look at people in the and be, he's not biased he's, because this woman's a mess. She's an outcast. She's isolated, socially isolated, ethnically and morally she's isolated. He's looking at her through the eyes of love. And if she doesn't get saved, she's going to go to hell thinking that she's okay. And it's Ryan pointed out how many people today are trying to find something to satisfy that emptiness. This is the divine appointment, but I think it's important to point out that it's a conversational meeting, not on Facebook. There's conversation. You know, the thing about conversation is that you have to listen to what the other person is saying. And by the way, he complimented her. You know what? You, you are true. That's true. You did say right. What a great, listen, he could have slammed her. Most of us would have. You know what? You said true. You, you are, it's true. What you said is true. But you have five husbands and the one you're living with is not your husband. That is also true. Are you all here? I would say this. This is a conversational meeting. He listened. He responded. He spoke with one-on-one. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is where it is. Listen, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Why don't don't we care more, love more? Invite him over to your house. Listen, if you think that you need to slam her or him, why don't you bring him over, have a dinner, Love on them, care for them, pray for them. How about wash their feet? Can you imagine that? So for all the, for all the visitors, we, we are not foot washers here. <laughs> We're not doing that. I just, for some reason, it just came to my mind, so I just said it. But it does show, listen, a great deal of humility. We came up with an idea. If the kids are fighting... They don't, listen, this is funny. This came up. They say, hey, this is a good idea. No, Dad, I'm not washing his feet. I'm saying, if we continue having the fights, 
We're going to go to a foot-washing family service. Oh, yeah. Dawn dishwashing. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't. Yes, we will. So, so this is a meeting that's divine. This is a meeting that's conversational. It's a satisfying meeting because it is living water that he's offering her, offering her. And I'm finishing. And she gets it. She gets it. She gets it, man. And in other words, it changed who she was. How do I know that? Because when she gets it, she leaves different. According to verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. Now, you know, the Bible doesn't make any mistakes. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The sentence is there. Why, would, why wouldn't it just start with this? And she went her way into the city and saith unto the men. By the way, she didn't talk to the women. She went to the men first. Why? The women weren't probably going to listen right now. Okay? So she goes to the men. But note here, she left the water pot. Her life, Brother Marv, is so changed that she forgot the water pot. She left the water. She's going back into a city. Empty-handed, a mile back into sidecar, and she's going to change what she was doing. She's going back to the men, and she's going to go, and that living water is starting to go bubble over now. It's going to start having an artesian well coming out here, and she's going to start talking, and she's going to show that something's changed in her life, and she knows something's changed in her life because she's going to approach these men different. And she's running, and she's coming to the men. Can you imagine the curiosity on their faces? Oh, no. However, this time things are different. She isn't talking about rendezvous later. She's talking about redemption. She's not talking about arranging an affair with a guy. She has come to tell them about the amazing grace of God. She hasn't come looking for a date. She's come to talk about the deliverer. She's different. She's different. Come see a man. Come see a man. In verse 28, went her way and saith, Unto the men. Come see. Come see him. Is not this the Christ? Now, watch this. He was a Jew. He still was a Jew. Verse 9. He was a sir, according to verse 11. He was a prophet, according to verse 19. But verse 29. He's the Christ. Oh, oh, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. The prophesied one from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is sitting right next to her at a well. What are the chances? And that Genesis 3, 15 prophecy, he's sitting right next to you. A divine appointment. You're here for a reason. And the walls did not come crashing down in your head. When you walked in. Because Jesus loves you. He said, I'll give you a gift. It's eternal life. It's yours. And she left her water pots. And she went to the men. She had a changed life. You can read the rest of the story. In the last part of that chapter, what happened. And then you go to the book of Acts. And you see what happened in Samaria. You realize you had a revival in Samaria that happened in the book of Acts. Largely came, I believe, from what happened here in John 4. I think so.